Do you feel the spirit of the Lord in this place? We're beginning a new sermon series for Advent entitled, His Name Shall Be Called. And we're using Isaiah's messianic descriptions of wonderful counselor and mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, as sort of the foundations of what we'll be talking about in our sermons for Advent. But I think it's helpful to know some of the historical context that he's making these claims about this would-be Messiah. The entire book of Isaiah really marks three different periods in the life of God's people. Before captivity, during captivity, and then after captivity, which suggests that regardless of where we find ourselves, before trouble, during trouble, or after trouble, God is still a very present help in our lives. In fact, there's never a point in our lives where we don't need to hear from God. Barely making it or living comfortably, guess what? You need to hear from God. You can be single, married, divorced, remarried, situationship, but guess what? You still need to hear from God. Why? Because there's never a point in our lives we don't need to hear from God. So by the time we get to chapter 9, God's people are in a dilemma. It's pre-captivity, but it's not looking good for them because their king was worried because just north of them, Two of their neighbors were joining forces and it appeared to their king, King Ahaz, that they were building their strength to launch an invasion against the people of God. So King Ahaz does what many of us do. He acts on his own accord. He does not get this from God. This is not what God told him. He's, he's not acting uh, in line with God's will. So out of fear, this is what he does, out of fear, he pays an Assyrian nation, a nation they had always been at odds with, for their protection against what he believes as a threat from the north. So it's under these conditions that Isaiah has these prophecies about a savior that would be to them and to us a wonderful counselor. I think of all of the names that we sing about and preach about during uh, the time of Advent and as we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, this, this wonderful counselor is probably the, the, the name and the description that gets talked about the least. So what does it mean to, for God or for Jesus to be a wonderful counselor? Well, the Hebrew word for wonderful can be translated to doer of wonders. It's characterized by a miracle worker, which, which indicated that something or someone extraordinary, incomprehensible or unexplainable would be present in their midst. And I think this is a bold statement by Isaiah. Because when they look at their political climate, when you look at their lives, it would appear that maybe God was done performing miracles and wonders. I mean, let's be honest, they had not always made the best decisions. Their fear in God had waxed and wanes. Their nation had been split into two kingdoms. They experienced times where God was silent. Miracles and wonders for them often seemed like a thing of the past.
past. These were things they read about, but for some of them didn't feel like they experienced it firsthand as if God was done. In fact, retailers call this a psychology of scarcity. And many of you backed up and proved the data over these last few days. Let me prove it. For instance, no judgment. On Black Friday, approximately $9.8 million were spent by you all. I'm guilty. Right? That's, that's, that's $9.8 million. They got us, and they get us every year. And let me tell you how, because they're using the psychology of scarcity, because the illusion is that if you don't purchase anything, that you are missing out on something as if we are never going to get these prices again. So retailers will use tactics to capitalize on these beliefs. They use words, I'm not mean, they use words like limited time offer, countdown clocks, one day only specials, and blockbuster deals and Black Friday sales. And what is it doing? It is creating a sense of urgency with a limited time frame and a limited period. And if you don't get it now, do you, do you hear the scarcity that's developing in the psychology? If you don't get it now, it's going to be gone. And so for about a few days, we are willing to spend $9.8 million because we believe if we don't get it now that we're never going to be able to get it again as if they're not going to come back again around for New Year's Day sale, President's Day sale, Memorial Day sale, but we fall for it every single year. But it's the same approach we take to our faith because we somehow believe that there's a limited amount of wonders that exist in the world and once they are gone, they're not coming back again. And the scarcity creates a false sense of urgency. So it's not as though we just rush to buy, but we rush to be anxious. We rush to get jealous. We rush to compare. It's why we take things into our own hands. It's why we have a difficult time looking at our own situations as possibilities for God to do wonderful things because there is a fear that that window has already closed in our lives. Why King Ahaz was willing to pay a neighboring army for protection that they didn't need, a psychology of scarcity. God told them that they would be protected, but that's hard to hear when we have a psychology of scarcity. We doubt that God will perform miracles and wonders. We know that God does those things. We just doubt that if God still does them, that God can and still will do them for us. And so we go throughout all of our lives operating with urgency. Why? Because we believe the window has already passed. So Isaiah is making a bold claim to these people that are unsure about their future. What he's suggesting about this, this wonderful counselor was that God was not done performing miracles and bringing a sense of wonder and possibility in their lives. So 
so can I offer you the same news? That the doer of wonders that you read about is not done performing miracles and wonder in your own life. In fact, let me use this language. Your window has not closed. I don't know what window you've been expecting to hear from God or to see God, but let me remind you, your window has not closed. I don't know what area, I'm sorry, it's getting good to me. I don't know what area in your life you are expecting to experience God in some new way, but God wants somebody to know that your window has not closed. It sometimes feels like it, sometimes it seems like it, but God does not operate in it it's ecology of scarcity. It's the simple reminder and the hope that God is still performing wonders in your life. Not just in the world, not just in the church, before the life that you live every single day, God is still able to perform and do wonders. In fact, the mere presence of Jesus in our lives is an invitation and expectation for wonders to still happen in our lives because that was Isaiah's promise to them and it's still our promise to us. So the critical question we must ask ourselves is when was the last time you experienced wonder? In fact, let me get specific. When was the last time you experienced wonder in your marriage or important relationships? When was the last time you experienced wonder as it related to your faith? When was the last time you experienced wonder on your job or in retirement? Because for so many people, the wonder has run out. The question that most people ask in so many words is how do I experience wonder in places where wonder has run out? Because sometimes it's not as though people have lost faith, but there are times when people have just lost wonder. It's not as though people have stopped believing in God. They've just stopped believing in a God that still works and does wonders and miracles in their lives. It's not as though people struggle with confidence. They just, they just struggle with the belief and the notion that God is still possible and God is still able to do different things in their lives. In fact, a few years ago, our hospitality team read a book called The Power of Moments. And it was probably one of the most impactful books about ministry I've read in the last five or six years. And the premise of the book was simply this. The author suggested that our lives are defined by these important and memorable stages like, like weddings or uh, the first time you meet your grandchild or graduations or sweet 16 parties or turning 21. See, sometimes if you don't get out what you should have at 21, you get my drift? So there are, these, there are these natural moments in our lives that help create a sense of wonder and help to create a sense of joy. But the author suggests that sometimes these smaller everyday experiences like a day at the beach or a fulfilling conversation with a friend, they hold just as much power in our lives, but we have to learn how to recognize the, their potential and apply time and effort and strategic thought to turn these moments into defining instances 
that shape their memories and change our perceptions. Because defining moments can be consciously created. You can be the architect of moments that matter. So at the time, what we did as a team, we called them wow experiences. Somebody say wow. If you've been here for the last couple of years, especially if you were here three years ago, you remember we did a binge-worthy series and we had people cooking popcorn uh, before people showed up to worship and you thought you were going to come and meet the spirit, but you, you, you smelled butter and salt and, and popcorn cooking. And, and there was one sermon series that we called Connect the Dots. And so we connected with a, a, a dot vendor of ice cream. And before you left on a hot summer day, we treated you with dots. And what we're simply trying to do is to create um, a moment and be the architect of creating those defining moments. So the next time you pop a bag of popcorn or the next time you're, you're at the zoo and you walk past some dots, you're actually thinking about the experience that you had in church because there was some intentionality around creating those moments in our lives. Lives. And I think that it's not only applies to ministry, but even in our own individual lives, because when wonder has run out, how can we now be strategic about inviting wonder back into our lives, reminding ourselves that wonder is still possible? We don't just rely on those natural elements or those natural rhythms in life, because sometimes they are years apart, but sometimes we have to develop the spiritual discipline of inviting wonder back into our spiritual journeys, back into our relationships. I mean, there were people who followed Jesus all the time, but there were a few people that wanted to be intentional about experiencing wonder. There were tons that listened to him preach, but there were some who said, Lord, have mercy on me. There were some that pushed through the crowds. There were some, there were some that stood in trees to get a better look. There were some that actually tore the roof off of a house. Why? Because they were trying to be the architect of their own wonder. But it's not enough just to know that God creates wonder. But do we trust God enough to also lead our lives? Not just, not just deliver us, but lead us. That's why it's so important to have a wonderful counselor because the role of counselors or advisors or people who put or people who brought wisdom was, was common that day. In fact, in the earlier days, a king would have their trusted advisor. These advisors would, would, would guide the king with their counsel on all kinds of matters. And it's not just a biblical thing, but it's a practice that's still carried out today. It is a constant theme throughout the Old Testament. It spans throughout nations because when, when, when people... Even influential people and people in authority wanted others to speak into their lives. In fact, I got data to prove it. Did you know, and some of you might change your profession right now, did you know that people pay over $2 billion a year on life coaches? I got data. In fact, the coaching and consulting industry itself is worth about $300 billion a year. So what does this mean? This means this is my last sermon. <laughs> right? 
mean, just, I mean, just think about it is, it is, it is a way of financially proving the foundation that we want to allow other people to speak into our lives. That regardless of how much money we make, regardless how, of how talented we are, that we want other people to speak into our lives. But here is the challenge. The challenge is to make sure that we are giving the right people access to speak into our lives. I mean, he, he understood clearly. He said, this is, this is to be our wonderful counselor as an invitation for God to now direct them and to speak into our lives. It is a reminder to be careful and to guard these places of our faith. It is a critical part of your faith and development, yet it's one area that we don't guard. We don't guard who we have counseling and speaking into our lives. I mean, think of it like this. In order to get into your home, you have to, you have, to have a key so that no one walks in. You guard your home. There's a lock on your car door so that nobody just drives off because you, you guard your car. If you have children in the school system, you have to be buzzed in. Why? Because they are guarding the protection of the children and students. I mean, all of the information online is normally blocked with passcodes and passwords. And do you remember your security question that you put in five years ago? Absolutely not. Forget your password, right? They have developed systems and safeguards to protect your information. And most of you with cell phones or any kind of device that when it, it, it is set up with all kind of fancy features or you got to use your thumb or facial recognition, right, to prevent anyone from having access to your data and all of your important information. Here's our problem. We give the right access to the wrong people in our lives. This Messiah will bring a level of wisdom and guide them to a better future that they were not currently experiencing, but they had to trust and give God access. But too often, they gave too much access to fear. They wanted to be like other nations, so they gave access to comparison. They gave access to greed. They listened to other voices. So who are you giving access to speak into your life? Because sometimes the person that you give access largely determines where we're headed in life. So do we not only just trust God to do wonders, but do I trust God enough? to speak into my life? Do I trust God enough to be the counselor and the advisor and the leader and the guide? Do I trust God enough to give God my life? Do I trust God not to just be wonderful, but to be a wonderful counselor? In fact, I saw this on display when I went home uh, for break. In fact, Ben, you can uh, get ready and start to uh, get ready to sing closing up went home this past week for uh, for Thanksgiving and it was a different holiday than what I'm used to in fact you know sometimes when you when you marry you 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 experience the ups and downs of life together my wife and I have experienced some some deaths in both of our families uh, my grandmother her grandparents and uh, the day after Thanksgiving we had to experience and go to another funeral and this one was a little different because the uh, woman that died, um, this was her cousin's wife. And, you know, as, as, as in-laws, 
uh, you know, we, we always we, we always said that we always married into a loud family and they think that we're so quiet. We're not quiet, it's just always so loud, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, we, we always bonded together in, in our quietness and uh, she died at 34 years of age. And one day she went into the hospital with, with, a, with a stomach ache. Went into the hospital with a routine stomach ache, just thought something just, you know, just wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't operating correctly. And it was then the doctor said that you have inoperable stomach cancer and gave her just a few moments and just a few months to live. 34 years old, two kids, just bought their first home. And within about six months, we were burying her the day after Thanksgiving. But here's when I saw the wonderful counselor on display. Because as we were coming back from the gravesite, we were getting ready to have the repast. If you've ever been to a repast, it's always customary to pray over the food. Now you have to understand that it's an occupational hazard that whenever people are always looking for someone to pray, I get a little anxious because I just always assume it's going to be me. And so when they said that we're going to get ready to pray in just a little bit, I'm getting the words together inside of my head. How do I encourage this husband? How do I encourage this family? How do I encourage us uh, being here uh, at the loss of 34 years old, two kids, just bought their first home. Life changed in an instance. But then they said, let's all bow our heads. So I could be at ease at this point. But then I heard a voice that was somewhat surprising to me. Because the person who decided to pray was their husband. Maybe one of the first times I've seen this. It wasn't just the fact that he prayed, but it was the content. He started thanking us for being there, thanking the family members for being present with them. And his prayer got really real. He said, God, I, I, I never imagined that I would have to be burying my wife, at least not this early. He said, I am entering into uncharted territories and I just need your help to help me parent these two kids. He said, I don't know how I'm gonna do it. I don't know how I'm gonna have the strength to do it. But he said, Lord, I trust you. He said, I trust you. He wasn't using the language of wonderful counselor, but he was trusting that now as a single father, that God would do wonders in his life. And being in a position he had never imagined himself, he wasn't just trusting that God would do wonders, but he was trusting that God still had a hold of his life. still speaking because I told you that whether you are in a situation where you are before trouble or during trouble 
after trouble, there's never a moment where you don't need to hear from God. And when he said amen, I thought, wow. This is one of those moments where we see the impact of a wonderful counselor. I, mean, I know I know it wasn't in a worship service and I know it wasn't there any mangers around or, or people singing carols. But I think for that single dad and for so many of us, for so many of you, that it's comforting to know that we serve a God that does wonders and leads us every day of our lives. Won't you pray with me? God, I don't know what each and every person is going through here today, but I do know that we all need you. Sometimes we doubt if you're still working. Sometimes we, we doubt if you're still doing these wonders in our lives, but we have faith today, God, that even when we don't always see it, even if we'd always, we don't always understand it, even if we don't always know how it's going to work or feel it, we just have faith that you're working. We just have faith that you're working. In your name we pray. Amen.